All right. Y'all ready for the word? <laughs> Y'all sure? Y'all still with me? You still with me? Okay. Well, we're in this sermon series on Rediscover Christmas, Good News and Troubling Times. And uh, next Saturday and Sunday will be the last one where we talk about rediscovering Christ and Jesus and making sure he's the main part of Christmas. And uh, one of the ways you do that is by, 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 by coming to his house next weekend. If you can't be here on Saturday, I understand, but, but get it on Sunday and, and uh, just worship with us next weekend. So, so far, uh, Pastor Anthony preached an incredible message on finding hope in our uncertainties. Uh, then, then I preached on finding peace in our struggles. No, Pastor Deb did. That was a really great sermon. And I preached on finding joy in our pain and discouragement. Today I'm preaching on finding love in our differences. Finding love in our differences. Jesus came to bring peace, joy, love, hope to everyone, even with, it, with our differences. John 3.16, probably the, the most memorized passage in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because God loves the whole world, it means God loves everyone on earth, excluding no one. That means we can love others on earth, excluding no one. I'm not saying you have to like them all. I'm not saying you have to love what they do. But we are called to love all people. Jesus said it in John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. He's saying the same way I have loved you. I've loved you freely. I've loved you without condition. I've loved you fully. I've not held back from you. I've given what you, given you what you need. I, I've blessed you. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Now, if Jesus commands us to love, that means that you can choose to love or not to love. A command is something you can obey or disobey. And we've so reduced love down to a feeling that we can't help. Something we fall in and out of. Well, I fell into it and then I fell out of it. Don't love you no more. Sorry, I'm moving on to the next one. So that's not love. That, that is not love. That's what most people think. But love is something beyond that. Love is, is a choice. And it's a choice to, to put others before yourself, to be committed to them, and to do what's best for them. And that's a God kind of love. That's a God by love. The kind of love that's very rare today. It's an unconditional, no matter what kind of love. But most people's love today is very conditional, listen to me, and very fragile. We're living in a time, we're living in a culture when people break off relationships. I'm not talking just unfriending you on Facebook. I'm talking breaking off a relationship just because people see something different than I do. People use ethnic differences, political differences, religious differences, almost any kind of differences to, as a reason to hate other people and to cancel them out. It's so sad to me because people are even writing off members of their family 
based on the way they voted. People are writing off, literally writing off members of their family because of differing political views. I read an article recently about two different actresses, how they handled the different political views of their families. And I'm making no comments on these pe people or, or their movies or, or their TV shows or anything like that. I'm just talking about what they did in this one instance. And one is, is Jennifer Lawrence, who starred in The Hunger Games. She grew up in a very conservative family in Kentucky. And when she was young, she adopted her family's conservative beliefs. And, but she said that as she grew, she evolved and she has gradually moved away from their conservative beliefs and, and now has a more liberal, progressive mindset. That's okay. That's her prerogative. She can believe and vote how she wants to believe and how she wants her vote. And her family can do the same thing. And they still have their conservative views. And that has literally caused her to fracture her relationship with her family. And, and she actually said this in this article here. I, I, I've tried to forgive them and I've tried to get over it. Talking about the way they believe and the way they voted. I've tried to forgive them and I've tried to get over it, but I can't. Contrast that with an actress named Sydney Sweeney. I never even heard of her, but evidently she's somebody. Stars in a show called The Handmaid's Tale. And her mother had this 60th birthday party. And the theme of the party was, make 60 great again. I think that's kind of funny. I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, not a big deal to me. But she posted photos online and, and they had these red hats saying, make 60 great again. You would have thought it was the end of the world. The way people responded, I mean, this went viral, and the people accusing her family of being Trump-loving Republicans, and maybe they are and were. I don't know. I don't know. But it got people upset, and so they started attacking Sydney and trying to get her to disown her family like Jennifer Lawrence did. I mean, it's amazing that, that the, uh, the, the bulk of the praise went to Jennifer Lawrence for cutting off her family because they vote different than her. And everybody was upset with this other girl and saying, you should do likewise. But her response was this. An innocent celebration for my mom's milestone 60th birthday has turned into an absurd political statement, which was not the intention. Please stop making assumptions. Sydney said, I don't necessarily agree with everything my parents agree with, but I think we should agree to disagree because our relationships are more important than our politics. These days, in many people's eyes, the relationships are not all that important. And if you don't agree with them, if you are different, if you disagree, they will write you off in a minute. I had the same kind of situation with my brother. Deb will remember this. My younger brother, he's passed away now. He's gone to be with the Lord. And, and we were so different, you would not have thought we were from the same family. I, I'm telling you, I, I'm more conservative. He is very liberal. And uh, I'm spirit-filled, spontaneous church, and he, 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 he loved liturgical, very structured type of churches. Not right or wrong, they're just different. Uh, he liked classical music, I like classic rock. He, he's a, he, I played the drums, he played the pipe organ. I mean, he was a world-class musician, he was amazing. I'm a Cowboys fan, he was a Vikings fan. I mean, everything was different. 
And needless to say, when we would go home for Christmas, many times him and I would end up in these arguments over something. I would take all I could, all I could, all I could, and finally I would say, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> I've had to repent of that later. And finally it came to a point where I said, Paul, look, let's call a truce. Let's agree to disagree. You know my beliefs. I know yours. We're very different. But you're my brother. I love you. You love me. Our relationship is way more important than our differences. And so that's what we did. And, and, and from that time, oh, again, we never really thought about anything. We just loved each other. And so I know from the Bible, and I know from personal experience, that we can love each other despite our differences. And listen, the church should be the one place where people love each other despite their differences. The church hasn't always done a great job at this. And we don't always do a great job of this. But we want to. And we all have opportunities in this Christmas season, in the other season, and in this current cultural climate. We have an opportunity to allow God's love to flow in us and through us to other people. We can find love even in our differences. That's one of the messages we see in the Christmas story. I'd never really thought about this until preparing this message. But the birth of Christ brought together a wide variety of people with many, many differences. It starts with Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary, the old and the, the young. And we don't know exactly how old any of these people were, but the Bible says Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old. Most scholars believe that Mary was a teenager, probably around 16 years old. So there was a huge difference in age. But they loved each other deeply. And it shows us that we can love each other despite our generational differences. Listen to me. We can love each other despite our generational differences. And it seems like it's so tough these days. Every time you turn around, you hear about friction between uh, baby boomers. You know, that's my generation. And, and younger generations, millennials, and Generation X, and Generation Z, and and. And there's a lot of, of frustration in the, the workplace. I think I got something up here about that. About Yeah, about the generational friction and all the differences. It, it, boomers top frustrations with millennials. Here they are. Using their phone all the time. A sense of entitlement. This is their perspective. Laziness. Coming in late and leaving early. Having know-it-all personalities. Millennials are more so annoyed by... Know-it-all personalities. It's interesting. But a lot of their things are similar. A sense of entitlement. They're saying the same thing. Uh, egos, taking credit for others' work. But, you know, there's a lot of differences. But it's okay. My wife and I are very different. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. I mean, if she was like me, I wouldn't have married her. And generations are very different, but they... Each generation has something to offer and something to give. And if they can learn to accept each other, communicate with each other, be kind to one another, try to see things from the other perspective, and try to work together, uh, uh, no matter what generation they're from, they can accomplish great things together. And you might think, well, that's just in the workplace, Pastor Joe. No, it's in church too. 
There, there are older people that there are churches dying every day full of older people who refuse to change, to make any changes so that they can reach younger generations. It's happening. Nope. This is the way my great-grandpappy worshiped. This is the way my grandpappy worshiped. This is the way my pappy worshiped. This is the way I'm worshiping. Same hymnal, same song, same pews, same everything. We're going to do it like that. And they're not reaching people. But then the young people, I remember I was talking to a young man, and I was trying to recruit him to come help us build our young adult ministry. This was years ago. He wasn't interested at all. I knew him, knew his family. He comes from a great family. His dad was a pastor. And so I asked him, well, why, why aren't you interested? And he said, well, listen to this. this. This flabbergasted me. Most people my age do not want to go to church with older people. We want a church full of young people. I was like, what? That's not even biblical. That's not even biblical. The Bible says in churches you need the older women teaching the younger women and the older men teaching the, the younger people. How will you do that if you only attend church with, with young people? And he was like, I don't know. He had no answer, but he just blew it off like it wasn't very important. Listen to me. It's very important. The church needs the life and the energy of the young people and the wisdom and the stability of the older generation. And we can choose to love each other despite our differences. It takes a little work. It takes a little love, but we can do it. Not only was there generational differences in the Christmas story, there were class differences Think about it. There was the, the wise men who were noble and wealthy men, the polar opposite of the shepherds who were among some of the lowest in that ancient social structure. And the wise men, pretty much they said they were from the east, from a different area, a different race from the others in the Christmas story. And they were probably Gentiles, not Jews. And their inclusion in the Bible story shows this radical idea that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, brings salvation and restoration to all people, not just to the Jews, but to everyone. The, Christ, the Christmas story included people with generational differences, income differences, class differences, ethnic differences, religious differences. What brought them together? The birth of of Jesus Christ. What overcame their differences? The birth of Jesus Christ. What overcomes our differences today? The birth of Jesus Christ. Could Jesus have united any more divisions simply by being born? I don't think so. He pretty much covered all of them. And in doing so, God revealed several things about his love that I want us to look at quickly today. Number one, Jesus loves all different kinds of people. Or we love all kinds of different people. Whatever it is. Listen, we're all different. Well, you know, we say to some people, you know, he's just a little different. You know, we're all a little different. And God loves us all. He loves us all. Everybody you meet, Jesus loved and died for. That person you can't stand, Jesus died for him and he loves them. God is love. And his 
this Bible, this book is God's love story with humanity. And from the beginning of creation, God made people and he walked and talked with them in the cool of the garden. He wanted to spend time with them and, and have fellowship with them and love them. But when they rebelled against him and sinned into the world, along came death and brokenness and separation from God. And, and, but God continued to love people. And throughout the generations, he had a plan and he worked this plan to promise a Messiah to make a way for all of uh, humanity who would believe to be restored unto him. And that way is Jesus. He is the only way. And Jesus loves all kinds of people without exception. So the second thing I want you to see is that love should define us and motivate us. His kind of love should define us like it defines him and motivate us. John the Apostle eloquently describes the love of God in 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. That's why Jesus came to earth, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He came that we might live through him. He came that he might die for us and forgive our sins. And then thirdly, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also, so also should we love one another. He came that we could love each other. John tells us here, God is love. Love is his nature. Love is who he is. And he showed it to us by sending Jesus. You can count on the love of God. It will never let you down. It fills us and it, it fuels us. It motivates us. It calls us. It's a, it enables us to love one another. We can't love each other apart from Jesus. The world is showing us that. But see, the third thing I want you to see is love empowers us to cross borders. And by borders, I'm talking about divisions between people. There's borders in households. There's borders in marriages. There's borders in workplaces. There, there's the divisions. We talk about borders and people coming into our, our, our country, but man, there's borders within the country and divisions within the country. And, and we live in some of the most divided times ever. It seems like our culture works hard to multiply the ways to divide us. The spirit of division Listen, I grew up in a time, in some, many of my years were in the South, in Louisiana and Mississippi, and I grew up when the schools were segregated. And I was in schools that were segregated even after laws had been passed uh, in order to segregate them. But those laws were taking a little while to filter down into Mississippi. And there were people who fought, bled, and died for civil rights. They fought, bled, and died for the right to be included at work, at the lunch counter, and at school. To get a, a good education and to be included and not to be excluded. And, and I was so saddened to read this recently that many major universities now are not having just one graduation for everybody. They're offering separate and segregated graduation ceremonies. I'm talking Harvard, I'm talking, I'm talking the University of Texas. 
I'm talking about a lot of major schools. Now, these aren't forced segregation. They still have a main graduation. This is chosen. People choosing to be segregated in their, gra in their graduation. So they, they are offering a segregated cere graduation ceremonies for African Americans, Asians, American in Indians, LGBTQ graduates, first-generation immigrants, women, and low-income students. I think Cal Poly had nine gradu different graduations. Where people are saying, I don't want to graduate with white people, or I don't want to graduate with Asian people, or I don't want to graduate with straight people, or I, I, I want to just to be, everything, listen to me, everything is getting into these smaller and smaller groups. And people's worlds are just within that group. And it's so sad to me because Martin Luther King and so many others gave their lives to end segregation. And now people here just a, a few years later are willingly choosing it. After they fought and died for the privilege of going to school and graduating all of us together. Now it's like, no thanks, I, I would rather be separate. Listen, this is why the church has to be different. Because our major identity in the church is not in our ethnicity, it's not in our gender, it's not in our economic status. Our identity is in Christ. Galatians 3, 26-29 says, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who, put, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So... People who have faith in Jesus become children of God. Before that, they're not children of God. But then they become the children of God. And in that, in Christ, in the family of God, they're no longer Jew nor Gentile slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Listen, Paul's not saying, hey, there's no more Jews, there's no more Gentiles, there's no more men, there's no more women, there's no black, there's no white. Obviously, there are. But he's saying that in Christ, those differences do not matter. In Christ, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or your station in life or your gender or anything else. If you are in Christ, you are one of God's chosen people and you are one of those who will inherit all the promises of God no matter who you are. We all have the same inheritance. You know, you hear these stories all the time, a family fighting, you know, over money after somebody dies. Man, I'm telling you, you die and leave some money behind. People show up and that is claimed to be your family you never even knew of. But in Christ, we are all joint heirs with Christ. We all get the same inheritance. It's an amazing thing. And while there still may be ethnic, gender, social distinction in other places in the world, those, ones, those distinctions do not affect your standing of a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. This is why the teaching of Christ is so radical. This is why the love of God is so radical. That's what God is calling us as a church to do. You see, God did not call us just to love people we like. He did not call us just to love people we agree with. In fact, he said even love your enemies. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you do that? In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. 
If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, mature, complete, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're commanded by God to love everyone, even our enemies. Reminds me of a story I heard years ago about a man who went to his pastor telling him he wanted to divorce his wife. And the pastor asked him why, and the man said, I don't love her anymore. And usually somewhere along the line, they'll eventually say, oh, I, I never loved him. It kind of grows, you know, that lack of love. The pastor said, well, you know, the Bible commands husbands to love their wives. He said, yeah, I get it. I just, I don't feel close to her like, like a wife. So the pastor said, oh, you mean she's more like a sister? He said, yeah, pastor, that's it. She's not like a wife to me. She's, she's, she's like a sister. The pastor said, well, you know, the Bible says to love your families, love your father and mother, love your brothers and sisters. If you can't love her like a wife, love her like a sister. <laughs> and he said, well, pastor, she's really, really not even close. Like She's not even like a sister to me. I got sisters, and, and, and it's not the same. Pastor said, oh, I get it. So she's more like a neighbor, not family. He said, that's it. That's it, Pastor. She's actually more like a neighbor. The pastor said, you know the Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself? The man said, well, now that I think about it, she's really not a like a neighbor either. We don't get along. We fight all the time. The pastor said, oh, now I'm getting it. You're telling me she's more like an enemy. And the man said, yeah, pastor, you finally got it. She's more like an enemy. He said, well, you do know the Bible says love your enemies. To which the man said, okay, pastor, I get it. He got no slack from his pastor on his lack of love because the Bible commands us to love everybody. And if he commands us, he will provide the ability to love. In fact, he will love them through us. The love of God is shed abroad through our heart by the Holy Ghost. You see, and Jesus didn't just tear down the walls of division at his birth. He intentionally crossed borders all through his lifetime to show love. He, he, he crossed divisions to tax collectors who were the most hated people around along with the Romans. And he even invited one, Matthew, to be one of his 12 disciples. He intentionally, the Bible says he intentionally, he told his disciples, I must go to Samaria. I must go to this place. The Jewish people hated Samaritans. They would walk around Samaria. Samaria. And Jesus said, I got to go there. And he met a woman at the well. He was doing everything that, that, to cross dividing lines that men had put up because in those days, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And men, Jewish men, would not talk to women that wasn't his wife like that in public. But Jesus crossed all these dividing he reached across cultural divides, spiritual divides, racial divides, political divides, and the love of Christ calls us and enables us to cross borders and tear down barriers of disagreement. Maybe reaching across the divide begins in your very own family. Maybe it begins in your marriage. Maybe in your home or your neighborhood or your workplace or your community. Jesus is calling us this time at Christmas to rediscover Christmas and the love of Christmas and to love each other, whether they feel like it or deserve it or not. And we can take steps to build bridges. 
Sometimes it's just being willing to listen and not being defensive. Now, let me just give this disclaimer. I understand you need to set boundaries at times, and I understand there are times that even to say for, for a period of time, we've had to do it with family members. Right now, love you, but you're not welcome at this gathering because every time you show up, uh, uh, you, uh, you hurt people. And we're not going to let everybody be hurt because of your behavior. So love you, and when you're ready to come together and we've had to do that, I get it. There's a place to set boundaries. I'm not telling you sit around, be abused, and let people hurt you. Are you getting that? But you still got to love them. You've still got to love them. You've still got to love them because God calls us all into his presence. God died, Jesus died for all of us. Uh, this is God's love. This was the heart of Christmas. So as we approach Christmas Day, I challenge you to rediscover Christmas by rediscovering the overwhelming, all-encompassing, all-welcoming love of God and then to love others. In a world where people unfriend each other so easily, people need to see us in the church love each other and work through our differences. In a world full of racial division, people need to see different ethnicities in the church loving each other. In a world full of political hatred, people need to see Christians of all political persuasions loving each other. Listen, Jesus gave his very best, and what did they do? They killed him. Yet he loved them anyway. And God is calling us to do the same. And he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to enable us to obey this new commandment, to love as he loves. Listen, listen, people are sinful. Love them in anyway. People will fail you. Love them anyway. People are unreasonable and self-centered. Love them anyway. People can be uh, inconsiderate, outright mean, and cruel. Love them anyway. People will hurt you, use you, and abuse you, but love them anyway. People will take advantage of you. Love them anyway. People you're counting on will let you down, but love them anyway. People won't always love you uh, unconditionally, but love them anyway. People won't always meet your needs, but love them anyway. Love people people regardless of their condition regardless of their worthiness love them in good times love them in bad times love them in easy times love them in hard times love your families love your friends love your neighbors and love your enemies jesus didn't say love the lovable love or he didn't say love them when you feel like it love them when it's convenient Love them as long as they're meeting your needs. No, he allows us no excuses. He says, whatever they have done, you love them anyway. That's the radical way he loved. Think about the day he was crucified. They beat him. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns into his head. He was nailed to a cross, and he did not deserve any of it, and yet he chose to love them anyway. Even as they were pounding nails into his hands, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the radical way Jesus loved. He loves anyway, and he's calling us to do that. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves you anyway? Aren't you glad that Jesus loves you in spite of yourself? We've all sinned, but Jesus loves us. We've all failed, but he loves us anyway. We've all made his mistakes, but he loves us anyway. We're all less than perfect, but Jesus loves us anyway. We're all unlovable at times, but thank God Jesus loves us anyway. This is so opposite of the world that wants to divide, but this is how we are loved by God, and this is how he wants us to love others. Listen, we all fall short in this, but we can no longer excuse it. We all need to grow in loving people who are different from us. And we can no longer delay it. 
And listen, I know you can't do this in your own strength. So we need to cry out to God to change our hearts and ask God, Lord, change me. Lord, love this person through me. Lord, I've tried and I've failed. Lord, help me. By the power of your Holy Spirit, forgive me, Lord, for my lack of love. Change me and help me to love them. Help me to forgive those who wronged me. That's how we got to pray. That's what we got to do. In the name of Jesus, amen, 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 amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down. Now, there's some of you, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here, but you just have a tough time believing God loves you. You have a tough time believing God can forgive you for things you've done in your past. But I'm here to tell you from the word of God, as, as a man of God, God loves you unconditionally. And we'd love to pray with you today if you feel, I, I just need to, I, I just need to, to know that God loves me. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've never been born again. Maybe you've never received him as your Lord and Savior. Today is a day of salvation. Maybe you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do this. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength. You need the power of the Spirit. Maybe there's somebody you need to pray for. Maybe you need to come down to this altar and get alone with God and pray yourself. But as we sing this last song, I want you to get prayer and by the way, remember, next, next week we're meeting Saturday for Christmas Eve service. Hope to see you then. Love you so much. Hope this is your best Christmas ever.